0: Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions of twin pastors who share their underlining and highlighting with you. This is Season 8, a podcast on Genesis 12-25 and the life of Abraham. This is confession time for a pastor. Sometimes when I get to stories like the one we're about to cover today, Jonathan, which maybe I'll just cite the verses real quick. Genesis 13, 1 to 18. Sometimes when I get to a passage like that, I'm like, oh man. (laughs) And and the reason why, and I think any Bible reader will get this, like in your devotional life too, like you read the story, and it is mundane. It is some people might accuse it of being downright boring, you know. <laughs> like, and um, this is one of those stories. I think that, like last week, it, just as for the sake of comparison, there's there's so much. Um, I don't know, uh, suspicion and seduction and, um, it it could have been PG all the way to R depending on how dirty your mind is, you know, and it, it seems easier to walk away with truths from a story like that. But then you get to this story and, and this story in a nutshell is, is simply this. We got two guys with, um, they're not, first world problems because this is this is a water problem <laughs> but it, it is a rich guy's problem and you know th- there people start fighting about it and then all of a sudden they decide to separate and that's the story <laughs> like and what what are we supposed to do with that like, like tell people to share you know like something like that and um so I'm being a little bit facetious here, but speak into this, Jonathan. This is, this is a story that um, isn't much of a story. <laughs> like, well, one of the, yeah, right. One of the learnings you can get from this particular story, and hopefully by the end of the podcast, everybody agrees with us on this, that what we have here is an absolute treasure trove. I'm using that language carefully we got gold and silver going of, uh, uh of God's truth and, um, Christ and direction for living. We're going to see all of that, um, in this particular story, but, but it, it does, um, I guess it, it can be hidden under the veil of, um, like you say, a mundane sort of veil where you, you don't ever get to it. And this is where, um, I, if I could make a plea to listeners <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have no right to do this except that God speaks through his word. And we believe that, but I had this experience um, the other night uh, went to uh, my wife's going to have uh, Lord willing couple babies coming up. And we, anyway, we go to this baby class. And, um, the doctor, I'm so glad the doctor came, was thankful for her time, but clearly she had had a long, rough day. Um, she was not prepared. She shared some information and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a baby expert, but, but, um, I, I knew enough to know that the, the, the doctor shared some things that weren't right. And, um, oh, man. also <laughs> the doctor, um, didn't share anything that was really relevant to new parents. And and so she gives us our long talk. And my wife and I are sitting in the back and I lean over to, and I say, I say to to my wife, I said, Melanie, I am so jealous right now. (laughs) Because this whole room full of, of uh, young adults, never once checked their watch and never once checked their phones. They were absolutely wrapped by what this doctor was was saying. And, and so the plea here is uh, sometimes our eyes can glaze over at spiritual truth. I honestly not sure I've had quite quite that audience before like where you could just walk in totally unprepared, totally not ready, and everybody will be wrapped for what you're about to say. Um, but God's word has so much here for us. And Timothy, we got to get into it. We really got to get into it. This well, is this is rich stuff. And I want to tell you why. Like, this is, and I'm not, you know, it, this isn't clickbait, but it's going to seem like clickbait. But this is scriptural clickbait. Because the gripping part of the story isn't really what happens. Like, oh, they lot goes to the right and Abram goes to the left or whatever. But the the gripping part of the story is where Abram ends up and where Lot ends up. And where Lot ends up is Sodom. Like, he he, he thinks he's going down to paradise. We'll talk about this later. But he ends up <laughs> nearly in hell, you know. He thinks he's on the way to heaven, but he's he's going down to Gehenna. Like this is even Moses. Like Moses looks down at Sodom in in the story and he goes, "The people there were sinning greatly against the Lord." So right. what we want what we want to look at in these mundane and almost boring everyday details about a water dispute is try to figure out what choices, what kinds of conflict lead one down to Sodom? And what choices Choice. lead one towards Hebron, which is where Abram ends up on his knees once again at an altar. Because, look, if, if you think of Christian living as a p- pilgrimage, as a sojourn, And most of Christian life is utterly daily and mundane and routine. Then what we have here is a story of the utmost importance about what leads to the right place. Yeah, so to to put it like this, we, we, we left a story that is full of an incredible drama. You know, we have this indecent proposal. We have... Lies. We have a confrontation uh, with um, a believer and a, and the leader of a superpower. I mean, he met the the president. <laughs> you know, the pharaoh. He had even more power. And then we enter into the story where we go, wow. We have a land dispute. We hear about land. <laughs> this is, <laughs> but this is how life is. You have quarrels between relatives, um, and. Most of life is very mundane, but like you say, Timothy, the drama is where it leads. The drama is where it leads, and that's what we have to look at. And this, this is going to be cool. So what we want to just notice, we'll have a couple of excursions along the way at the beginning, but we want to just notice three things today. We want to notice what how the quarrel either pushes you closer to Kebron or to um, Sodom, we want to notice how priorities do the same. And then finally, we want to notice how your, really your vision for life, and we'll talk about why we use that word very specifically, a vision for life, for the good life, will lead you to one or the other, either Hebron or Sodom. So let's let's get into it um, right away. And I think, go ahead, Jonathan, if you want to read those first couple of verses. I'm going to put up on the screen if you're on YouTube with us. Yeah, so we want to start with verses 1 through 4. Then we'll do some excursus on that. Just take a little side trip here. Uh, so, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now, before we actually get into the topic du jour today, which is going to be money and wealth and abundance. Um, and you'll notice that Moses does tee that up right there in, in verse two. Wealth is our topic. Uh, I think it's important to notice the travel itinerary here. Uh, There in verses three and four, you do get this travel itinerary. Um, This is more than just Abram coming back from Egypt. I want to notice that, first of all, he does does not go back to Shechem. Now, Shechem, if you go back to uh, chapter 12 and you go to verse 6, you find out that um, Abram traveled there to the great tree at Shechem, um, and the Lord appeared there and, and gave him a promise: "To your offspring, I will give this land." Um, he doesn't. He doesn't go back there. He doesn't go back where he had these big, like, um, theological uh, fireworks of the promise that he had initially been given. It expands then. There in verse seven, he actually goes back to the place. Uh, between uh Bethel and Ai, where he had built an altar to the Lord, um, and there he proclaimed the name of the Lord. So this is this is where he did church. This is where he did church for the first time. Abram goes back there, and I don't think it's saying too much. And commentators, other commentators, including us right now, um, are are going to call this a pilgrimage of pilgrimage of repentance, like he. He goes back to where he started. He's starting over again, and he's proclaiming the name of the Lord there. And I, I just, I just, I, I, I love this. I love this. What, I want to make a couple comments about this just by way of application. First of all, it's this, what is the fastest way forward? A lot of people have talked about this. What's the fastest way forward? What's, what's the fastest way to progress and the answer, you can answer that in a number of ways, but one of the ways you can answer it is this. You, um, you go all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> you go all the way back. Sometimes the fastest way forward is to go all the way back. And uh, you, in fact, you can't, you actually can't go forward the right way unless you build on the right foundation. This is why the prophets will always, you know, Jesus, John the Baptist, Um, the old Testament prophets, what do they always tell you to do before they, before you can ever go forward on a journey, before you can ever build God's kingdom? What do you do? You repent, you repent, you go back. And this is exactly, Abram goes down to Egypt. And like we said last week, he also goes down in Egypt, but he goes back to church. Um, he's, he proclaims the grace of God. Um, He believes it for himself. And before he's going to move forward in his life, he is trusting again the promises of God. How beautiful is that? So So just to interrupt you, like to clear your point up even further, he repents really in two ways. Like what you're saying is he repents geographically because repent means to go back. That's that's what it means. And he retraces his steps. And he's like, I got to start over. I met, but he also repents spiritually. And that's, that's the bigger one where he, he's, he's like, I got to go back. I need to start over. I'm starting over a whole lot more wealthier than I was before, which we'll talk about in a second, but I'm going to go worship the Lord. He was faithfully despite my sin. Here I am on my knees and I'm going to proclaim the gospel right here now. We this is so this this is the other the other point that I want to make here. Uh, we Christians can have incredible falls in life. Incredible Abram has one. We just saw one. Incredible falls. And sometimes we can think there's no way, there's no way back. We can't we can't ever serve God the way we want to again. Not true. Abram is completely restored and he moves forward in an incredible way. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in other words, what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit uh, is powerful and he does raise us right back to life. Praise be to God's name. And we see that right here in Abram's life. Right from the top. And that's just excurses number one right there. And it's worthy really just to pause right there. And it's enough just to say that like, oh, look, thank you for the grace of yeah. God and his, his faithfulness to his promises. They're always there for us. A second excursus is found even before that, and it's a major detail in the story. And it's going actually going to be the thing that that conflicts the situation in just a second. But we're told in verse 2 that Abram had become very wealthy, and the idea there is heavy. Like if you look at some of the other translations of the Hebrew, it's it's idea that he had become very heavy. And go back and listen to last week's podcast if you need to to learn about how that happened. But the the reality is he's a very wealthy man. And that right there, that may challenge, it, it may and, and, and perhaps should challenge all of us about what we think about wealth in, in general. I, I'm a guy who experienced uh, personally, I, I guess I've been in New York City a long time, but the whole, I've seen tons of movements come and go over the years. One of them was, maybe if you're old enough, the Occupy Wall Street movement that was protesting, at least one of the things they were protesting was um, uh, wealth equality. And this is how it came into the popular lexicon of the the 1%. You know, how much do the the 1% have uh, in comparison to the 99%? And this is this is a movement that popularized the idea it, it, the seeds were always there I believe but it, it actually brought it into the pop pop culture that it's there's something sinful about being in in the one percent and I guess I wouldn't venture a guess to know like was Abram in the one percent of the day is either Jeff Bezos or the Elon Musk of the day uh in, at least in terms of of wealth I, what we do know is that he's wealthy. And um at, at a certain point you you have to confront that in your own heart. Like, does that bother you? Do you think it isn't fair? And would you be one of the, the people like around his tents <laughs> carrying signs and uh and and doesn't make you bitter and angry? Because if it does, uh that shows a whole lot more about you than, than it does about Abram seed. Because what we learn from the scriptures here is that wealth is is a spiritually neutral thing. It's, it's not sinful and it's not holy. It's all a gift of God. But how you relate to it, and we're going to see this in Abram's life in just a second, and also in Lot's life is is the only thing that matters it's the only thing that matters it's timothy it's a wealth and materialism and abundance in in christian history uh we've seen a similar dynamic to the way that christians relate to their bodies um it's material stuff right and and living in in god's world and the creation you can either overvalue money or undervalue money and, um, and abundance. And neither one is, is, is correct. Neither one's correct. Um, we wanna get there in the right place. And you're right, the, the, the key here is how do you relate to it in your heart? That's the key. How do we relate to, to personal abundance or the abundance of others um, in the heart? You, and that's you, that's what we're going to be talking about. You might say like, and you could disagree with me, Jonathan, but the new asceticism—that's what I call it, at least—is it's um it's ascendant. Like you you see these young professionals walking around Queens or Manhattan or Brooklyn, and they have their MacBook and their backpack and and um they eat grass for, for lunch and stuff like that. And cause they don't want to ruin the environment and be a drain on it. This is, this is next to, this is like the saint of our culture today that you would well, use you can... as little resources as possible. Like they are the new St. Francis of Assisi, you know, the whole, the whole asceticism, like I will be as poor as poor can be, you know, and that's well, a it's... good thing. Interestingly, it's the new way to flash wealth. Minimalism is the new way to flash. I'm so wealthy that I don't even have to show you I'm wealthy. It's, so it's such a distorted relationship to wealth. You know, it uh, used to be you have all kinds of gaudy stuff to flaunt your wealth. Now we're the exact opposite. Now the most, like, it, all, all, like God's creation is stripped away from, I don't need any of that stuff. I'm so wealthy, I don't need any of that stuff. It's minimalism. That's you ascended. just own so, these companies along I ninety five instead with Scott stuff. Right, <laughs> right. So it there's this is the tension. Don't you, nobody don't tell me monasticism is dead. It's not dead. People are just reinventing oh, no. it in other ways. I'm not going to own a house. I'm going to have a tiny house. You know, I'm gonna. I'm not going to um, have stuff. I'm going to get rid of all of it and just own a MacBook and uh see what i mean it's it's the same kind of stuff it's 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 a it's there's a distorted relationship with with wealth and money right and Lu- actually luther was the one that showed this to me i read his commentary on this and he asked the question do you want to be with francis or do you want to be with abram and not not saying that you're going to be rich but just being okay that it's okay to receive good gifts from god and or do you want to just say you know what i'm not taking it sinful and you know just shove off all responsibility of it so there's something there there's something there it's a it's a good excursus but really we probably need to get in the meat of what we came here to do and see how Abram ends up in Hebron and Lot ends up in Sodom and really the first time I'm going to highlight this on the screen it's right here in verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And here it is this is it. And quarreling arose between Abram and Lot's herders, right there. That's a really important little thing right, right there. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So take it away, Jonathan. Uh, show us how Lot ends up in Sodom and Abram in Hebron. Well, we're not going to get too far in that journey. I, I just want to make one minor point and then make a bigger point here. First of all, uh, we we have a story about wealth and how you, you can live on, the, the land here is is a little bit more arid where they're at, and we'll talk a little bit more where it wasn't quite as arid, and Lot does head in that direction, but the land's more arid, there's not as much vegetation, which means you can't have as many head of cattle on that uh, particular piece of land. We have a, uh, I live here in southern Minnesota, and uh, it's a really interesting place, um, prairie going one direction, but Deciduous woods going in another direction. Live right on a sort of geographical divide like that here in Mankato, Minnesota, and uh, just a, a little outside the city, there's a state park called Minneopa State Park, and they'll talk about the bison who live there. Uh, they need a certain amount of acreage to support um, one, you know, one bison. They've it all calculated out. And no doubt this is what's going on here is there's just that the land is able to produce an, enough vegetation to support a certain amount of head of cattle. And uh, so they needed to spread out. They they didn't, the land couldn't support them. And so the, the other tension that develops here, and just where you have to read the text carefully, is it does say the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. And that that may sound a little bit like a throwaway line, but it's actually not. Um, this is a reminder here that the land that was promised was not yet given and that um, most of the land probably was already in the possession of other people. And that really did limit how much land Abram and Lot were able to take in. Um, also, well, it's gonna have implications for what, what we find coming up in what they do as well. So we got this quarrel going on. And that's the quarrel. This is the quarrel. And I'll I'll make I'll make just a couple of of comments about about where we are in the patriarchal narrative here. Lot comes onto the scene in a big way in this story. This is really this is the first of a trilogy. you can think of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> this is the trilogy of Lot and Abram's stories. And Lot is always going to be the foil to Abram every single time. Lot is it takes some decisive actions that are that are never good. And his story uh is does not end in, in disaster only because of the grace of God and only because of Abram. Is always there, there for him. So, this is this is the beginning of the Lot Abram trilogy. It's it, it's kind of woven in with the Abram Sarai, Ishmael Isaac um, tensions, and um, here they're they're fighting like their their people are going at it. Like you can't have the water right now. My animals are dying over here. I don't know if it came to physical blows. But the, the the Hebrew there is a reeve. It's it's a quarrel. It's this is the same word, by the way, that that um, is used in the Book of Exodus, chapter seventeen. I'm sure it echoed in the minds of of the Moses readers when they when they were had they had the same fight with God over water. So like at 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 Massa. So this is going to be um, the beginning of tensions um over water that run throughout throughout scripture. It's a great, great overview. Thank you for that, Timothy. I, I just I want to make a couple spiritual applications and then build in to the big spiritual application. This first spiritual application is don't 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 miss don't think that having wealth is a solution to everything. Uh, it well Puff Daddy was right. <laughs> no money, no problems. Uh it's there there's 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 problems with not having enough. And those are well recognized in, in the culture today for sure. So we don't need to talk about that, I don't think. What's not maybe well recognized is that having a lot comes with with um some issues too. Like um this is a little tongue in cheek, but I live in the upper Midwest now in, in Minnesota. And um, you know, you know what you want. You know what you really want is you want to know somebody who owns a boat. You don't want to own one yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Cause then you gotta take uh-huh. care of it. There's there's right, there's there's issues with with having having a lot. And and even like everybody is over summer, it's it's much it's much better to know somebody who owns. A vacation home than to own one yourself and (laughs) i say that a little tongue-in-cheek and i don't know how much i totally mean that but the point is that um having a lot of money um isn't a solution to all your problems it's actually going to cause more problems and and don't don't misunderstand that it's it's good like i'm just trying to pause for a second timothy and say there's a reason why like there's that we have we have a prayer that's given to us in the Bible where we say, Lord, don't give me too little and don't give me too much. Just keep me. And why, why the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray on a daily basis is, is this prayer. He says, give me, give me daily bread. You know, it's not give me bread overflowing the barn." You know, it's give me, Lord, you're praying down daily bread. And so um, I'm just pausing to think about that money. Uh, and abundance is is its own problem, yeah, and I, I don't know if i will just take issue with with uh <laughs> Puff daddy, I guess it's a responsibility, it's a responsibility, like Abram had to take care of the people and the animals yeah. that he had and That's right. is that is that a problem um maybe in an unspiritual moment, it certainly is, <laughs> but there's a, there's a response like a great that. responsibility to 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 managing what what really ultimately belongs to God. Um, but, but we have quarreling Timothy and, and yeah quarrelings that, bad that's the big quarrelings bad. that's the big That's a big problem. And look, uh, I want to connect this with with our listeners' lives and with our own lives, Jonathan, like we have to be able to suss out and discern by the spirit when we are, uh, really fighting over value and money and and economics and so I want to just paint a picture of for for you Jonathan of what I think is is a proverbial I think a common uh, marriage in New York City where um, perhaps uh, there's a prenup involved because the woman comes from money nobody can touch it so already there's a conflict over sign it, sign it away. It's mine, not yours. And then uh, there's the decision that comes of separate bank accounts. So what you earn is yours and what what I earn is mine. And we're going to just pool to jointly pay, pay the rent. And um, then there's the decision to buy a house and you're not putting in enough for the down payment. And other decisions come down the pipe about whether um, the stay-at-home dad or the stay-at-home mom's gonna work. And there's a fight about that because the other partner doesn't feel um, like the other's pulling their weight, right? And this is how the the conflict um, continues. It's, it's almost as if, <laughs> That this the big quarrel here just continues on and on and on, and it's not just marriage. See, it's it's between brothers and sisters. It's between dad and son. It's it's between um, business partners. Uh, you didn't give me what's mine, and you didn't give to me what's rightfully mine. And so, bitterness, anger, uh, reeve, as they say in Hebrew, quarreling. It's all right. Yeah, there. This isn't this isn't constructive. There can be tense, constructive dialogues, but that's not how Moses describes it. He calls it Reeb in Hebrew. He calls it a quarrel. And uh James, uh, the brother of the Lord, he he says, You want to know why quarrels come? He says, uh, what causes fights and quarrels? It's James chapter four. This is the height of James' argument, by the way. And he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And so these, these quarrels, there's nothing godly about quarreling ever, nothing. Uh, it's always coming from sin. Now, if we want to discern that a little bit, and that's worth doing, um, I think there's dueling impulses inside of people. Um, on the one side, um, you can have envy. And envy is, I, I you know, Get out of my way, I want what I want, I want to, I want to quadruple the my head of cattle, and this is getting in the way because there's not enough food here. Um, so envy can can drive a quarrel. But don't be naive. It's not just envy that that drives a quarrel. It's also scarcity. Some people have a, have a deep belief in scarcity, and when you believe in scarcity, Quarrels then are driven by fear. So on the one hand, you can be driven by fear. On the other hand, you can be driven by lust. Both will drive the quarrel. And both are both are going to be ministered to in different ways um, in scripture, at any rate. But th- I, I'm just pointing out you can have those, those, those dueling impulses. The one is I'm afraid I'm not going to have what I need to live. And it's a belief in scarcity and fear is a part of that then. Um, the other is, um, life's all about me. At any rate, and I want to maximize my profits, but at any rate, it's all about me. And Timothy, I would suggest to you that we could, even, this isn't just a quarrel. In a way, I think this is a, a, a vignette of, of, I might even go this far, um, let the listeners decide, but I think this is a little bit of a vignette of modern life. I was talking to everybody's trying to stake out what's theirs. Everybody's trying to get what they want out of life. In other words, like this, I'm trying to go get what I want. Um, that's what this is going. That, that's what's going on. You might be nice about it, but you're still staking out your little corner of the world, and that's what you're doing in your life. I I was talking to this 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 young man. He's going off to to college to um, be a school psychologist, and anyway, he's going to school for this and any and he. Uh, we were having this this nice com- amiable conversation and he said to me yeah after he told me where he was going to school and what he was doing he said he told me why and he said this is why this is why i'm going to school um, i think it's really interesting you know psychological problems there, It's interesting to me and he said pays pretty good and i get the summers off and that was why I was in, and, and and inside i didn't i didn't let him know this cuz i didn't have that relationship with him But inside, I was actually, I was devastated by that because here you have somebody who's going into a, a, he wants to help kids, but he actually wasn't going into it to help kids. He was doing, he was going into it to help himself. And so it's just that he can get so messed up and so distorted. Everybody is out there striving, grabbing, trying. Sometimes it's out of scarcity, uh, a scarcity mindset. Sometimes it's out of an envious mindset, but this is what everybody's doing. And there's only one person in the whole story, as far as we can tell, who saw another way of life. Right. So this, like we were talking about how we want to pay attention to the mundane details of our life to see if we're heading away from Sodom or towards it. And one of the ways that this needs to be at least a warning sign is, are you having constant grief, quarreling over materials, money, stuff? Because if you are, you know, that you you just need to be discerning about that and and wake up and be like, I could be um, heading towards the wrong destination at, at this moment. And there is, like you said, there's one person who finds another way, and that's, and that's Abram. Do you want to read that next verse, Jonathan? Yeah, this is so beautiful. Uh, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your hers and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. This is amazing. I mean, well, I, Timothy, take it away. But this is this is a shocking proposal. You know it. It is, and first of all, I think uh, it's important to know And I'm Luther. Luther was really strong, in this. he said he. Right here in this moment. Abram gives up his right. And you, you could say that he gives up his rights. It's that's such a powerful and evocative word in in our country today, Jonathan. But he gives up the right of an uncle, first of all. It's not even his most important right, but he is he is the uncle here. Lot is the nephew. He also gives up his right of the land grant that the Lord had given him. The Lord had said, this is, I will give you this land. It's yours. And probably, although this isn't a certainty, it could be that Lot is older than Abram. I've never imagined that way. And I think there's a good reason to believe that Abram is older. So there's the right of seniority as well. And in in the culture of the day, all three of these, all three of these rights um, Abram could have within his rights said Lot I need you to go over there I've decided to be here and this isn't working anymore I'm within my rights to say that you should move but that's not what he does he gives to Lot the choice you choose this is one person called it this way. It was it, it, it landed in my mind. He said, this is an unthreatened. This is an unthreatened gift to Lot. So Abram's really strong in the promise here. He's believing God's promise that God's going to bless him. He's unthreatened. And it's magnanimous. You choose Lot. It's very generous. And on the other hand, th- this is just a good chance to do some comparing and contrasting. because the narrative just sets you up for this we're we're lauding abram right now this this is just a tremendous act of faith um he's so liberated by the belief that uh god's going to give him land and this land in particular that he can just let, let lot have it he knows it's coming to him anyway um so he doesn't have to worry about himself at all but lot on the other hand um you know, we didn't, we didn't read quite that far. We will in a second, but we're going to find out that uh, lot doesn't even take, take a moment to say, thank you. You <laughs> He, he, he doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, uncle, um, you know, I, I'm here because of you. Uh, I, I, I'm rich because of you. <laughs> um, God gave you the promise, not me. You should. Re- no. Oh, no. Uh, lot. I, I don't know how to put, it. I, I don't think this is going too far, but in in my imagination, lots like the kid in the candy store where you, you, you want to be generous with them. And you say, pick any candy in the candy store. I'll buy it for you. And, and, and lot, instead of saying, thank you so much, uh, He's just got drool coming out of his mouth and he's off to find the candy and you wish you hadn't ever offered it to him. You know, he's just, (laughs) he's just out there doing it. And I, I do, I do think there's something to this. Like, this is a very polite culture. Uh, We're going to find that out in in the burial scene uh, coming up or the burial plot scene coming up in Genesis. Um, there's, there's no like, oh, you know, not, lot, lot, lot should have said, oh, uncle, you know, oh, uncle, I couldn't, I couldn't. Do you really mean it, uncle? At least protest you know, a little bit, like when you're yeah, at least a, bill at dinner in, or something. I read this, just to, <laughs> just surprisingly. Like, I read this, I read this book on Minnesota culture, and one of the things they say in, in Minnesota culture, at least, is you you have to decline at least. Only if somebody offers it three times in a row do they really mean it. Like, um, you have you got to say no. No, I couldn't. I couldn't let you pick up the bell. Oh, I insist. Like, you know, but, but lot, lot just, boom. So it's very different. And I'm just, we're playing with it a little bit, but you see it, right? Like, these are very different spiritualities. At the end of the day, what we want to notice is Abram's priorities, if we can, if we can put it that way. And as far as I can tell, Abram's priorities are the following. Number one, he's he's gonna hold to God's promise that God will bless him. Number two, his second priority is lot. He would exchange lot for the world. And he does. Like he yes, you he take would. you take first choice lot. I want to hold no a distant third was was everything else you you even as animals. So, um, lots priorities are we're going to see are a little bit different. And so, you know, what what we want to do spiritually, and this is just a chance to apply this to ourselves, is if if we're in the reeve, if we're if we're in the quarrel, the great quarrel that's is so ongoing and we want our rights and we want our stuff and, and we want it to be fair and you know and and all of those things then we need to take a step back and look at well what are my priorities am I clinging to the problems of God Am am I putting others ahead of myself and loving them instead of my stuff um one person said it this way I thought it was really beautiful he said there is room in God's plan to follow our most generous impulses. Isn't that beautiful? There's room in God's plan to follow our most generous impulses. And Abram's gonna, you you, or I think this is cliche now, but you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And when it comes to when we're in the fight with other people, we actually, Jesus said this. You cannot love both God and money, which is absolutely true on, on its face. You can't pursue money as the highest good and God at the same time. You have to make choices. It's it's also true in a relationship to people. And I, I I don't Jesus never said that, but I think we can make the application. You cannot love people and money. It, you have to choose. You have to choose. Like, am I gonna love lot well? who's a little bit of a brat here, like at least as we've been portraying him, or are we going to love our money? That that was Abram's choice, and he made the right one. He has priorities. God, uh, family, and people, and neighbor, and then money as a distant third. This is, I want to empower this spiritually in the next section. And I think there's enough gospel down there to to do it, but I I just want to awaken everybody who's listening to this to see this. What Abram, I think, shows us here is that there are other forms of wealth that we too little contemplate. What is actually a wealthy, abundant life? What does it mean to be a rich person? Are you a rich person because you have all the gold and silver and the cattle? or are you rich because you have less cattle, gold and silver, but you get to keep the people that you love in your life? See what 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 who's who's rich? The guy who bought his motorcycle for himself or the guy whose wife knows, "Honey, you first. I love you. Everything for you." Who's richer? Um, who's a richer person? The person who, who works 70 hours a week and they got the sweet 401k and they can retire at 55? Um, or the guy who spent evenings in the backyard with his kids? I mean, you tell just what's a rich life? Um, it, it's people, it's having people to love and love you in your life. It's God made us to love Him. And trust him um, first, but then he made us for each other um, to love more people and to be loved by by other people. No, nobody, nobody looks back on their deathbed and says, "Boy, boy, I really regret not making more money." You know, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody thinks that because in the end, um, even a rank unbeliever can say, um, "That wasn't the, that actually wasn't what I thought it was. It wasn't that." I, I'm trying to expand our expand this out. What does it mean to have a rich life? What does it mean to have a rich life? What does well, it mean to have abundance? And and that kind of moves us into our third point, like we're we're wanting to see like what how is it that lot ends up in um Sodom and it's 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 the quarrel. It's wrong priorities which we just talked about. But then it's he's got a wrong. You already started leaning into a little bit, but he's got a wrong vision for what the good life is. And the the way that Moses tells the story is downright. So oh man, it hmm. is downright um, beautiful. And I, I don't know, like we should we should just read those next couple of verses because lot has got this choice in front of him. And by the way, like. There, there's a lot. If if you're wrestling with a hard decision right now, this is this is a big um, story to look at. Like how do we how do we make decisions? And Lot's going to make a decision with uh, the lens of economics, and it's going to lead him down to to Sodom. Abram's going to make a decision in an act of uh, magnanimity and And generosity, and with different priorities. So this is this is a big deal. Um, let me just read these verses and Jonathan, you can start into it. So here's Lot, he's got this big decision, and then he's gonna he's he, he's got a vision in front of him of what the good life is. It says this. Lot looked, and there's the vision word, and saw another vision word that the whole plane of the Jordan toward Zoar, and that little city is going to come up later when Lot flees Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a little, a little bit of a foreshadowing. So he's he sees the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, and here's the comparisons: like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This is his vision of the good life. <laughs> there it is. Well, th- this is, you know, one of the, there's a leading biblical commentator and, you know, everybody leans on him for for this um, observation.
1: Robert altar. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he points out here that really what we have here in verse 10 is uh, Lot's perspective. This is what it looks like to Lot. When he, now keep in mind, um, this land, which is as you look out over it, you're on a you're on a high peak. We know this from um, the geography. You're on a high peak uh, when you're there, and you're from Bethlehem, and you're looking down, and you can see. And and um, now it's the land is devastated, uh, dead seas down in that direction, all that stuff. There's nothing there now, and so this is um, us seeing what it was look what it looked like. Before um, the Lord damned it, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. By the way, archaeologists are finding um, irrigation there. We know that this story is true. Um, it's really interesting stuff. At any rate, this is from Lot's perspective, and he he thinks that it looks like the Garden of Eden. He, it's so beautiful to him. He looks down there, and so th- this th- this is the thing. He says, it, he's thinking, this is like the Garden of the Lord. This is paradise. So he's this is what he sees. He sees the promise of everything that the Garden of Eden has. Uh, he's thinking he's going to go down there, and it's heaven on earth. That's what he's thinking. It's so deceptive. Well, he's wrong. Like, <laughs> he's wrong, It's so bro. deceptive. He's like, this is, it's, it, one person said it this way. It was really, really well put. Like, he wants the garden, but without the Lord, he wants, he wants to have economic prosperity, he thinks that's the good life, but without God, and, and so Moses makes these little, um, parenthetical comments, he's like, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, and then he makes this little comment, now the people of Sodom were wicked, and were sinning greatly against the Lord, but none of that, like, in other words, Lot was unconcerned for his spiritual life. He's willing to risk it all um, so that he can get down to what he considers to be the good life, the life in Eden, the life in paradise, the life in Egypt where you can keep getting richer. And it is, it's so deceptive. All of this is a foreshadowing. You have to come back. We don't see that. That Lot's life becomes an utter uh, disaster um, yet, but all of the hints are there that this was a bad choice. Yeah, you do have to read this with a little bit of foreboding when this you you do get this this um, language like the Garden of Eden, but I think we should read that uh, comparison very carefully. Um, and sense the foreboding in it. Like, for example, if somebody says um, they have something like a marriage, you know, you kind of go, "Ooh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to know." You know, I'm not sure I want to know more about that. This is like it's not actually the Garden of Eden. It's like the Garden of Eden. There, there's, there's something sick and 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 off about this, and we're gonna find out exactly what that is. Um, I, I want I want to I want to pour into that just a little bit. This is this is important just to build out this theology a little bit. Um, we're going to find out that Sodom is a place of exploitation. That's what we're going to find out. We're going to find out it's a place of exploitation. I want to read this uh, from uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to fill out our understanding of the sin of Sodom because. A lot of people associate that with only sexual sin, but actually, there's it's exploitation. Listen, um, Ezekiel uh, sixteen verse forty nine says, "Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom: she and her daughters were arrogant. Listen to this: she was arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. Um, and so, what you find out is that um, and." this This is the trouble. this is the trouble with um, any time you have riches. is sinners, sinners flock to riches and resources like uh, like flies to honey. That's what you find out. Why did everybody go to Sodom? Um, because they're scrapping and they're clawing for themselves. And when people are scrapping and clawing for themselves, all they're really doing is they're exploiting each other. and this had, this has gone up to heaven um, as as a great sin. Um, and I think I, Timothy, I was trying to figure out that the, you do have the injustice against the poor. You're exploiting the poor, um, but also there's a there's a direct parallel then with sexuality because when you don't when you when you don't consider somebody uh, else's possessions as sacred or taking care of their bodily needs, obviously sexuality is going out the window too because you're just going to exploit each other's bodies. And so there's a connection between the two, but that's what you have here is the sin of exploitation um, going on. And, and and Lot has no idea. He's, he's so naive to it. He has no idea that everybody's going to Sodom for the same reason he did. He wants what he wants. He wants what he wants. He's, he's living out the great, the great quarrel, and he's willing to go down and fight for stuff down, down at Sodom. As a sidelight, theologically, There's a lot of theologians who um, say that the city is the place to live. This this is, you know, Tim Keller is pretty popular for saying all Christians should move to the city and um, just take it over with the gospel. And too much of his theology is is just shaded with, with uh, reformed ideas that you can make the city a, a new and, and better place, and, and it just it just never happens. It never has in the history of the world. But this is an interesting, just to track Christians' relationships with cities in the book of Genesis uh, so far, um, it's not, not a good relationship. Babel, we have Babel, Ur, Haran, and now Sodom uh, pops up. And and these these places here, I am in. Look, I'm in the middle of New York City, so yeah, I was going to say, I've been here for 15 years, uh, and I love this place. I love this place, but um, we have to be. If you're going to commit yourself to the mission in a city, you have to also realize that um, you're going to be around a lot of sinners, and there's going to be influences on your soul. And, and the New Testament talks about that with Lot. And I, well, there's going to be more Apple opportunity to talk about that later. But I just wanted to start tracking that with people. Christians have had a love-hate relationship with cities, and this is exactly why, right here. Well, and I I think this is this is a little bit of a like we're going to track track Lot here. And Timothy, you gave me opportunity to just just mentioned this. Like I've started to talk to to people about this. Um, we we have so many of young Christians who are going to cities um, to universities. We find out the stats that 80% of Christians who go to universities, they come out not believers anymore. And um, it's a stunning statistic. And we we just we have to read these stories sensitively. Um, in parallel, they're here for our learning. It does impact our souls when we go into hearts of cities. Um, and and th- do we not think that we're not going to come out with their values? There's a reason with their values. There's a reason why and, and their vision for life. Um, there's a reason why we're going to see um, that Lot, he ends up, I mean, ho- horrifying stuff that he does. I don't even want to talk about it. He, it's, it's so sad. Get, he, he, he gets so involved with exploitation, he doesn't even realize how, how bad it is. He, and at the end of the story, he does escape, but he ends up also getting sexually exploited by his own daughters. So this, these kinds of decisions in our lives, uh, you, you talked about decision-making, Timothy, massive. And my, this is my encouragement. Dear Christians, I, I'm not being legalistic here, but dear Christians, when you make, you're free to make these decisions. But as you make these decisions and you and you lift up your eyes, this is what Lot did, he lifted up, up his eyes. What are you lifting it up to? And my, my encouragement is, dear Christians, think about where you and your faith and your family can be cared for under God as the number one thing. Lift up your eyes to the promise first. And then try, and then start thinking about how can I love people in the world, and don't chase the buck. Just say, how can I love people in the world? I have gifts. I have a time of grace here on earth. How can I love people in the world? And that's how you that's how you that's the opposite of lot. there is a that's parallel. Abram. Yeah, like, and before we move on from lot, we got to get to Abram now. Just a second, but this is going to segue into it's going to segue into Abram. Wow people draw a parallel with Jesus temptation on on the temple peak where the the devil had him look out he gave him a vision of the world he said you can have all of this and so you can imagine lot he's just looking out you can have it all just go down here and then um bow down and worship something other than god and that's what that's what lot did he He made his priority the economic realities that was like the garden of the Lord without the Lord. And Abram didn't, and neither did Jesus, more importantly. So like if we've made decisions that have led us towards Adam, Jesus made a different choice to save us. <laughs> and um, he 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 becomes the um, the great Abram, you might say, the sinless Abram, and he—he he did not bow down and go down in, in that moment. He—he he was perfect in our place. Thank God for that. And and Abram here, it, it, he can't be the Savior like that. We've already seen him fall, but here he's going to get it right. He and the Lord, the Lord immediately. It's not even, not even. It it seems like as soon as Lot makes his choice. The Lord immediately rewards Abram's faith. Like he he intervenes with a word Um, after Lot had departed, says, look, look around. So the Lord's going to give him a vision. He's like, everything that you see, everything that you see to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, all yours. And then Abram's going to make this legal um, trip throughout the land and check out what God is giving to him. and. The end, of the, the end of the story here is, is that Abram, who, who valued the Lord's promise more than anything else and clung tightly to Lot, look at where he is at the end of the story. And it's so beautiful. He's on his knees. He builds an altar to the Lord. And, and he's right there in God's presence, thanking God for his goodness right where we want to be. Yeah, so Abram, uh, just in verse 14, uh, I don't think we mentioned this yet. there is a, there's a literary parallel here. You can't see it in the translation, but here it says that Abram uh, that the Lord said told Abram to um, lift up it look, lift up his eyes. So he there, look, I want to say a couple things about this. Uh, one is the promise. One is the promise um, Christians, we live our lives on the promise and we can see that God keeps inserting the promise back. Um, he expands it. Um, he helps us meditate on it, but here God gives Abram the promise yet again, life is lived on the promise. So that's the first thing that I, um, want to say about it here. Um, the next thing, uh, that I want to say about it here is that, uh, we, this promise allows us to live our lives and, and be liberated from trying to find paradise here on earth. Um, and when we're not trying to find paradise here on earth, then we can just go about our business of, of trusting God and loving people, which is what we're here to do. Um, and it, it's like the hymn says, I'm but a stranger here. Heaven, heaven is, is, is but my home. So we don't try to find paradise here. There's, and in fact, I would say this you don't want to find something like paradise here. You actually don't. Anytime you, for every, for every, what's what we have here? We have a fertile crescent of the Jordan River. And it looks, and for every Jordan, fertile crescent of the Jordan River, there's a Sodom. Every time you think you want to find um, an oil, um, deposit on your property somewhere you don't there's going to be a family squabble <laughs> you know there's <laughs> this is this is we're not trying to find riches and paradise here on earth it brings honey like flies what we actually want is the true way back timothy the true way back to the garden of eden that's what you want and that way is jesus christ he is the one who took all of, the, all of the, the, the punishment for our exploitation on the cross. He is the one risen from the dead. And it is he who promised us. I, in, I, I dare say in a certain sense, it's a re-promise of Abraham. He said, he opened his mouth on another high, high mountain overlooking the promised land. And this is what he said. He said, blessed are the meek. He didn't say blessed are the strivers. Blessed are those who go first. Blessed are those who stick it to other people and, and, and take their right, like Lot does here. He says, Blessed are the meek. And this is what he says, for they will inherit the earth. There's a whole new creation coming. Paradise is coming. Paradise is coming. Paradise is coming, Paradise is coming in Jesus' name. And that's what Jesus did. He did not insist on his rights, He didn't say, um, you know, I'll take up carpentry because the union pays really good. He didn't say. I guess I'll be a messiah because there's a really good vacation um, uh, package. He said I'm going to do it because I want to love people and I want to I want to fill up the new creation. Um, and he became poor. He became poor, so we might become rich um, to um, to give the Bible passage and the promise of God. Mm. I always want to end on Christ. Amen. If you are moved and you want to support this ministry, please go to www.thenonimalpodcast.com.